episodes. Joining us now is our really good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Did you know young elves or uh, eels are called elvers? I did not. That's a new one to me. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's, and they're probably called other things. I think a lot of people would probably just call them eel, but uh, that's <laughs> what they're they're called. I don't think I've ever eaten eel. I don't think I'd I, want to because they just, I don't know, it's a texture thing probably if it more than anything. Yeah, it's, uh, I've eaten some weird things and <laughs> some some are good and some, you know, some things I don't think we're meant to be eaten when you no. think about it. So it's, it's a, I watched a shaking branch out here and it, it showed that a pair of crows had flown from the scene. Mm-hmm. And just uh, kind of across the way, there was a crow and a male red-winged blackbird, and they were double-teaming a red-tailed hawk as they flew through the air. Oh! And they they attacked from above to avoid the raptor's talons, and it was it was like the Justice League <laughs> in action. They were just uh, joined together, but after the hawk left the scene the red-winged blackbird turned its anger on the crow and oh. started hammering on the crow. Little birds mobbing bigger birds. I think it's uh, it's the law of the jungle, maybe, is what's going on there. Angry little birds mobbing bigger birds. Who, so who would, usually wins in those cases? I mean, do the, bird, do the big birds just find it annoying, or do they actually get revenge? I think both. Sometimes they will certainly drive them out. I, I notice that maybe most often with turkey vultures. I saw, uh, oh, I don't know how many, four or five red-winged blackbird males were hammering on a turkey vulture. Well, the turkey vulture wasn't going to do them any harm. He really didn't have any way to fight back. So so they won that battle, even though they drove away something that uh, would do them no harm. But So sometimes I, I think like a bald eagle, maybe when a little bird is bothering them, it's just kind of a... An irritation, but uh, certainly in some cases, like this red-tailed hawk with a crow and the red-winged blackbird after it, they were hurrying its way out of the area. So I, I think they could probably justify calling that a victory, even though the red-tailed hawk probably would not have done them any harm either. Heard from uh, Ruth Searle lives up uh, Woodbury Way. She said uh, she just got back from Arizona and was, uh, oh, you know, not... The weather wasn't real nice here, so it kind of took a little bit of the luster off the return. But she said, I did see a tree swallow climbing a bluebird house. And the mama mallard is in my garden. The bunnies are busy killing a bush in her yard. And the red-winged blackbirds and spring frogs fill the air with their calls. So, Oh, and Gail from outside Mankato asked uh, last time, and I told her I'd see what I could find about applying vegetable oil to the edge of a lake. And they they do that, you know, to... I I see it done in rain barrels where they put it in there to keep uh, mosquitoes from breeding. And a small amount of oil floating on top of the water can smother mosquito larvae and dramatically reduce mosquito breeding. And it's... One tablespoon covers 100 square feet. Uh, I would keep in mind that this also kill other water bugs, mm-hmm. which must breathe at the surface. And you wouldn't want to use oils in a water garden or a pond that has fish in it. And 
1757, Benjamin Franklin, who is at the source of pretty much everything when it comes down to it, he was involved. He was sent to London by the Pennsylvania Assembly to plead for an equitable taxation policy for covering the expenses of the war against the French. And during the first part of his journey, Franklin was on a ship that was part of a fleet of 96 ships bound for Cape Breton Island, which was in the hands of the French. And looking out over the sea, he observed that the wakes of two of the ships to be remarkably smooth, while all the others were ruffled by the wind. And he asked the captain, who told him the cooks had probably been just emptying their greasy water. And the captain thought it was a pretty stupid question, as this was common knowledge among seamen. And Franklin carried out his own experiments, and he even took to carrying a bit of oil, which he had the habit of taking with him in the upper hollow joint of his bamboo cane. And he would calm waters, just a, kind of a magic act to show people. So, yeah, Gail, I guess it works. Uh, I I don't know if it would be a problem for fish there. I know that's dumped in ocean waters and things like that. Uh, it certainly calms the waters, and it would uh, would kill uh, keep kill mosquito larvae. So I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but it, it's sort of a semi-answer anyway. I walked on the Greenlee Golf Course and found some uh, white-faced ibises there, which was pretty cool to see. They look black, like big blackbirds, but when you get up close or take a photo of them or look through optics, uh, binoculars, they are just beautiful and multicolored. Uh, Darcy Syme of Alden sent me some pictures of white-faced ibises. Cynthia Keene said, I have a problem with cluster flies. I hate them in the house over winter. I know you can have guys spray poison on the outside of the house in the fall to kill them before they can come into the house. Do you know any other way to rid them before they come into the attic? I wish I had a surefire method of discouraging cluster flies, Cynthia. I grew up with them. Uh, here's a couple of ideas. Locate the entry points, and then you've got to use outdoor caulking to seal the cracks and crevices around the doors, windows, siding, utility pipes, chimneys, eaves, and uh, fascia boards. It sounds like a project requiring a great effort. There'd, there'd certainly be some sweat equity added. You could hang non-toxic sticky fly strips or fly traps in an elevated spot that's well lit because flies are attracted to light. Uh, entomologists don't recommend uh, using pesticides indoors for cluster flies. And I, I hope this is of some small help. I watched one day as yellow-rumped warblers on the outside of the glass were attempting to get at the cluster flies on the inside of the glass. Uh, Denny Tustison of Albert Lee said, when will the Orioles be back? Denny, they will be in your yard on May 1st. <laughs> uh, so look for them. Yeah, kind of May 1st is Oriole Day. You might see them before then. So, uh, uh, Brad Amendraw saw lesser black-backed gull in Wasika County on Lake Elysian from the roadside park on 3 looking southeast. He said a scope is required. Doug Keezer observed an immature 
lesser blackback gull at the Elysian sewage ponds north of Elysian on County Road 14, that'd be in Lesueur County. Uh, Dean Musing said the influx of new birds in the area is great to witness. Saw a lot of blackbirds, including a yellow-headed blackbird, which I haven't seen in a number of years. He had a brown thrasher. He saw lots of ducks, uh, mergansers, blue-winged teal, buffalo heads. Uh, red-shouldered hawk one day. He said, what a fun season for birding. And Kathy Probst said, greetings from Westlaco, Texas. Boy, I've been to Westlaco many times. I like it there. She saw a great kiskity outside her trailer house, and my, she said, my friends didn't know what it was, but I did. First <laughs> time I've seen one outside of the Nature Center's refuges down here. Yeah, and um, they kind of sing their name, and they sing it over and over and over, kiskities. They are beautiful, beautiful birds. Do we have them uh, here? We, no, I was going to say I didn't think so because she used they used to live up here in the Mankato area, and when she they moved down to Westlaco, and and she mentioned that, and I was like, oh, I bet Al knows what she's talking about. Yeah, they're uh, one of the birds that people like to see when they go down there, even if they're just kind of a casual birder. They want to see green jays, chachalacas, and great kiskadees. Oh. Those seem to be the three that uh, just brings joy to people. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal. It said in the upper Midwest about, well, this is about, you sent me one too, about the loons falling from the sky. Yeah. The loons are migrating. They hit patches of freezing weather, and this uh, they freeze up in the air, so then they have to land. So they say they're landing in cow pastures and all over. And loons are used to water landings. So when they land on land, they aren't built to walk or to take off from the land. So then uh, they're stranded. They have trouble. And uh, I've, I know I've told a story often about when I picked one up at a parking lot, the Skyline Mall parking lot, which is a Skyline Plaza now in Albert Lee. And it was on the pavement there, and it couldn't get up and fly. Uh, we also see this happen with some other birds, but loons are the ones that we, we notice the most. Uh, Bev Jackson Cotter of Albert Lee had a wood duck box last year, and there were 46 eggs in it. Wow. <laughs> uh, none of them have hatched, and she wondered what was going on there. The normal brood size for wood ducks is somewhere from 6 to 16, so the extra eggs result from Probably uh, a lot of them from a first-year breeder who's following another hen to a nest site during the egg-laying period. And the visitor is stimulated to lay eggs in the nest of the other hen. The other hen lays eggs, so this first-year hen says, well, that must be what I'm supposed to do. The expression, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, applies here. A hen whose nest has too many eggs may abandon it, and I'm sure that's what happened there. I would, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, oh, man, 46 little ducklings. Uh, Micah sent me a, it was a really cool video, and I believe it was from CBS Sunday Morning. And it says, remember Murphy? He's a bald eagle in Missouri who found a rock in his enclosure last month and mistook it for an egg. Oh, 
Murphy has been caring for his rock <laughs> ever since, and the Internet thought he'd make a great real dad. It turns out so did his sanctuary. When an orphaned, injured eaglet came through the World Bird Sanctuary, they introduced it to Murphy, and Murphy is turning out to be a pretty good stepdad. He's feeding the eaglet and is on his best behavior. So it's, uh, it was really cool. Uh, Wayne Fetter saw a Willet in Faribault County, Andrew Nyhus, a Willet in Mauer County, John Schladweiler, John's a great guy, uh, retired from the DNR, saw a snow egret in Watton County, Bob Williams, white-faced ibis in Freeborn County, Diedrich Menz had a black neck stilt in Freeborn County, uh, Dave Bartke saw a lesser blackback gull in both Lesueur and Wasika counties. Andrew Nyhus saw a white-faced ibis in Lesueur County. Chad Hines saw a white-faced ibis in uh, Blue Earth County. Dave Bartke saw a white-faced ibis in Mauer County. Uh, Wayne Fetter had a cattle egret in Fairmont County. And Wayne Fetter saw a green heron in Faribault County, and Sharon Holzer, a long-billed dowager in Brown County. So lots of things. I think you should keep an eye out for white-faced ibises. They have the big uh, down-curved bill. They're just lovely, and they're called white-faced because they kind of have a white outline around the eye on their face. And the other one uh, that maybe we should be looking for yeah, would be a snowy egret. These beautiful... We, the last ones I saw a couple years ago down by Twin Lakes, Minnesota, were out with cattle, like they are down south. A listener said, do ducks migrate at night? Um, most mo- waterfowl migrations occur at night. Studies have indicated that migratory movements intensify, let's see, shortly after sunset, I think, is when they get really busy, but then they peak in the middle of the night and then decline thereafter. And the result can be an impressive increase in local waterfowl numbers overnight. So you might have a lake and you say, boy, there wasn't much there when I went to bed, get up in the morning, there's all kinds of ducks there. Waterfowl can fly at speeds of 40 to 60 miles an hour, so we say they average roughly 50. So if they have like a 50 mile per hour tailwind, a migrating mallard could travel 800 miles during an eight-hour flight. And studies have found that that mallard needs to feed and rest for three to seven days to replenish the energy expended during this eight-hour journey. Uh, The same listener said, My dog loves to lick people, and I tell them all that the dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth. Am I telling the truth? Uh, You know, according to the American Kennel Club, the answer is no. I'm sorry. You'll have to call all those people or write them uh, letters of apologies and, and just tell them you were lying. No, it's... It isn't. Maybe it's no worse than ours, but it's it's not cleaner. So it, it's probably, they don't spend as much time in, in the dental chairs we do, so <laughs> it's probably not as clean. Am I seeing a white-throated sparrow or a white-crowned sparrow? A white-throated sparrow has a white throat, throat patch. 
and then it has a yellow spot between the eye and the bill. And it sticks out pretty good. You'll notice that yellow spot. These things are lacking on a white crown sparrow. Uh, the same listener that in this case said, what's the difference between a bird watcher and a birder? Oh, didn't know there I, was a I difference. Think, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that there is, but I think if I had to come up with one, sometimes you have to. I think a bird watcher looks at birds and a birder looks for birds. Oh. But you can be either one or both. You define it any way you want. Uh, you, you can be a, an avian looker, whatever you want to call yourself, <laughs> just to enjoy birds. There's no rules no rules to enjoying birds. A uh, text message that a listener says, do skunks have poor eyesight? You know, have you ever seen one wearing glasses? So it must be good. They don't. They, skunk does have poor vision, and combined with dark coloring and a crepuscular activities, uh, leads to many skunks becoming victims of automobile collisions. And their eyesight is limited to about 10 feet, scientists tell us, but they have this, they have excellent hearing and smell. And I get them in my yard, and I talk to skunks if I come around the corner of the house and there's one. I, by speaking, it allows the skunk to gauge my location and avoid me, and that's really kind of what I want them to do because I've I've been sprayed enough in my life and don't need to have that happen again. Well, Al, so while we, you're uh, while you're on the subject of skunks, we just got a note from Jack, a text from Jack May here. He says, "To birding with bat." Last week, when Al was talking about how many times a skunk can spray and the prospect of it being out of ammunition, I thought he might add that the skunk says. I know what you're thinking. Did I spray five times or six? Are you feeling luck lucky, punk? <laughs> <laughs> the skunks are the dirty hairies of right. the, uh, <laughs> in the animal world. That's great, Jack. And we got something from Jeff, too, from Janesville. Yes, we do. We got one, one from Deb, too, so hang on. So the one from okay. Jeff says, The grackles and blackbirds are taking over my feeder. The bird food I'm using is called songbird mix, sunflower seed, peanuts, safflower seed, dried raisins, dried cherries. The bag says it attracts chickadees, nuthatches, cardinals, finches, jays, titmice, and grosbeaks. So am I using a good all-around seed? And the problem is that I just have some greedy, <laughs> greedy birds that are always going to kind of take over my feeder. Jeff in Janesville. Well, it sounds really delicious, doesn't it? It, it sounds like something I'd want to have with milk on it in the morning. That sounds like delicious stuff. Put a little oatmeal in there, I'd be set. Yeah, it sounds like there's everything there, Jeff, that birds would like, or I should say the birds we like would like. The problem is, is the grackles this time of year, we get a lot of them moving through, so they're stopping to try everything. Uh, and they are... They are looking for food, they're hungry, and they're going to get as much as they can, and the, the stuff they don't like, they toss down on the ground, sadly. the I found putting safflower out, grackles don't like that very much, but I, I eliminate some of the other birds that I want to be oh. at the feeders, too. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that the numbers of 
grackles will lessen as maybe some of them are moving through, Jeff, and I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that. But it sounds like everything you got there, it sounds it, it's stuff that birds would like. So it's just a matter of eat. timing, it sounds like, that, that why there's maybe more at this time. Yeah, and you're probably going to have them. They're going to nest around, mm-hmm. so you'll have the regulars, but you would hope that those numbers would be less than they are now. Are other birds but scared I, off by grackles? I suppose a bit. You know, if you're a little uh, chickadee <laughs> out there and here's this huge grackle that could has this bill on it like a dagger that could do you great bodily harm, you're going to be cautious around them. I know somebody called us last year, Karen, that had one, uh, a grackle killed a junco in their yard. Now, I'm guessing hmm. that the junco probably was injured or or ill or something, and that's why it happened. But it still happened, you know, so it's it can. They are um, they're big birds, and they're going to be, are they bullies? I don't know if we can call them a bully because they don't abide by the same rules that we do, but uh, it's it's possible. Now, Deb has a text that she sent as well. She says, I have a wren house made out of a gourd, and I'm wondering, when is a good time to put it out? I would, uh, boy like me first. I try to do everything <laughs> on May 1st. You know, Rick Mammel just uh, sent me an email saying he'd seen a hummingbird, or I shouldn't say he, his wife had seen a hummingbird. So it's uh, a hummingbirds, uh, I'm sure there's some out there now, well, at least this one. And he also said a neighbor had seen one, so probably the same one. I, I think everything comes back on May 1st, and it, it doesn't. So if you see them beforehand, you can sure put them out. But May 1st is a pretty good time to do it. And, Deb, I have used those gourds. We raised birdhouse gourds for two years we raised so many birdhouse gourds. They just, those plants were just. I got an old uh, bed spring and put out there to give them something to climb on because they were just going crazy. And we dry them up and everything, and uh, they last at least one year. Uh, Are the they good just, for birds? I mean, is it is it a a, a good thing to, to raise gourds for birdhouses? I think so. I don't think that it's all natural, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the wrens certainly, uh, I know they raised babies in them, so they worked. So you had to but, cut a hole in them? How big do you know yep. how to cut the hole then? Uh, it's a, a size of a wren, and you can, uh, it'd be the same as if you're putting up a wren box, mm-hmm. so it has that... Uh, that same size in there because you can make them different sizes if you want chickadees or bluebirds or or wrens so it's i think it was about an inch and an eighth is what i put in there uh, for the house wrens so right around that size and you have to dry these things out so they don't rot and uh, oh we gave them away and it was just uh, we were the gourd folks for a couple years there so it, it was fun though i just didn't know it's like okra i raised okra a couple years i raised everything for a couple years before i figure out i'm not i'm not doing this anymore and okra just it just kept producing and producing and producing and Ochre can be, uh, you know, I'm I like foods in the slime family, but <laughs> ochre is really slimy. Yeah. And 
the only way we found that we really liked it and we loved it was deep frying it. Oh. And, uh, you know, and you think, are we raising a garden so we can deep fry things? Probably not a good idea. So it we, it's good in, like, soups and things. But, uh, boy, it just... Uh, so I had somebody... Um, I was in uh, uh, Elberly Seed House, and somebody was... There was ochre seeds, and they were talking about that. And I said, well, you know, mm-hmm. you'll get probably more okra than you figured you were going to get. Uh, at least we did. Uh, a listener said, do I need to add red color to my hummingbird nectar? Nope. No. The best and least expensive solution for a hummingbird feeder is a one-to-four solution of refined white sugar to tap water. So a quarter cup of sugar and a cup of water. Well, now, and why bring, are they always red then? They always make the feeders or the the, the um, little things that they can drink it from, either yellow or, or red or orange or something. Is that just being pretty, or does that actually attract them to it? Yeah, I think maybe a tradition or something, because you just you get that a quarter cup of sugar and cup of water and you bring the high octane solution to boil and then you let it cool before you fill the feeder it, you can make a larger batch and refrigerator refrigerate it but um, again bring it to room temperature before refilling the feeder but that red coloring isn't necessary there's no reason to add red dyes to sugar water as natural we think about natural flower nectar it's clear and the red dye is a waste of your trust fund money. So just keep that. Uh, if we think about nectar-producing flowers that exhibit color in the warm kind of ultraviolet spectrum, so you would go from yellow, pink, peach, orange, red, and purple, they yield nectar with a sweetness level. I looked it up the other day. It's like 20%. Many hummingbird feeders have red caps, bases or these floral decorations and that's more than a more than sufficient to attract the birds but the color has less attractiveness studies have shown than what is put into the feeder wow. so don't use red dye don't use brown sugar honey molasses artificial sweeteners and in hot weather oh remember hot weather yes. in hot weather the feeder should be emptied and cleaned twice a week and cooler weather once a week is enough why, why it, do we have to boil the water before you put it out? I mean, is there a reason for that? I think just so it, the mixture is is constant all the way oh, through. Okay. So it's a, it's a good mixture. And if you're buying a hummingbird feeder, check on how easy it is to clean. Because oh. it's a swell idea to have feeders that are easy to clean so we don't put it off. If it, things are hard to clean, we, we say, oh, you know i got to go out and clean that. I'll probably wait till tomorrow. If it's real simple, you just put a bottle brush in there and you're done, then we'll do it. We'll just make a point of doing it because it takes us two minutes, and that's what we want to do. Say, Al, I just got an email from our friend Micah. It says, I had four grackles attacking my house sparrow's birdhouse this morning. Wow. Yeah. I. Who knows what's up there? There's a story of some kind. Uh, house sparrows are feisty little guys too, so there's um, hard feelings of some kind there. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're just—I don't know what they're doing. If they're finding some kind of food there, this um, the Hatfields and McCoys. And I mean, is there something we, in that house that they would want? 
you know, if there's food of some kind or in, who knows what's in there. And uh, other than that, if they're going to be regulars and residents, they might be trying to swipe some nesting material out of there. So birds are not above stealing nesting material from another bird if it suits their needs. And that's uh, every kind of bird. I watched an oriole steal nesting material from another oriole's nest. So they uh, find, I guess, they all want the same thing. Thanks, Micah. Great to hear from you. It, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with Karen and I. I, I came to a four-way stop. I easily found my place in the realm as I was the only car approaching the intersection. Bless our small towns. And the day before, I came to a four-way stop in a larger city where there was at least one car at each stop sign. So, okay, who goes first? Well, the first vehicle to arrive at the intersection. This makes sense. If two vehicles get there at the same time, then the one on the left yields to the one on the right. That's, that's what happened here. The fly in the ointment was the car behind the one that went followed right behind it. So two cars went from one stop sign. The second driver was talking on his cell phone. So who goes first at a four-way stop? Those who have an inflated sense of their importance <laughs> or uh, possibly have a weak bladder. Remember, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, as always, Karen. I hope the gardening is just going well. And, uh, boy, as soon as we get to that lovely weather, you'll just be a, a, a blooming idiot out there with all your good stuff. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Al. Great to chat with you. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.